if he takes anything harsh from that, just have him rewind to where I said he doesn't look like he's 82. <laughs> That'll just... I just called my dad a Right dog. over, yeah. And I just called myself a German, like a noble German shepherd. Yeah. I'm really like a goofy St. Bernard or <laughs> a Great Dane. That's great Dane, I think, would be better for you. How tall are you? 6'4". You carry yourself like a 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, Thanks. Hoş geldiniz, which is welcome in Turkish. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the podcast creator and the host of each episode of this podcast, which this episode is not yet 50. I don't really give you guys the numbers there in the notes of the show. I will probably say something when it's my 50th episode and I'm creeping up on it, but this is not it. So, but this is a landmark episode in a different way. This is the first of two parts with Chris Lazat. I, I, I struggle on the best way to describe this guy. He is a fantastic musician and a really great singer songwriter uh though i don't know if that i don't know if he loves that description but he's he's awesome it, not only is his music fantastic but chris is an amazing guy and i don't use that word lightly when i'm talking about chris he is just one of those genuinely awesome caring friendly hilarious warm uh, I, I I don't know like how many adjectives do you guys need he is just such a great man and such a wonderful role model and he has absolutely touched and modified in a very good way the lives of many many people this first episode is us talking a lot about the whole dad side of things and who his dad is. And it's actually really funny. His dad uh, completely surprised me. His dad walked in as we were setting up the gear to have this discussion. And I don't even really know if Chris had told his dad that this was happening, but it was really neat for me to meet his dad even for a couple of minutes when he came in. So this first episode is a lot about Chris's dad, Chris himself as a dad, and also a lot of the early part of Chris becoming a recording artist. There is a little bit of that history in here and a lot of the dad stuff. And before I get to the episode with Chris, let me just remind you that Daddy Unscripted is part of the Osiris Network. And Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans like me, like you, like Chris, like all of us who like music with conversation, commentary, and of course, lots of music. And there will be music in the second episode of this with Chris Lazat. So make sure you check out OsirisPod.com for more great podcasts that are on the network. And you'll hear a little bit more about Osiris and I'll give you a couple of little podcast introductions for you guys to check out at the end of this episode. So now let's get right to it. Here is the magnificent Chris Lazat. All right, I am really excited. This is kind of a, a new twist, but in the new realm, this is kind of Daddy Unscripted 2.0 perchance, but my first going out and recording in somebody's lovely home with my guest today, which is Chris Lazat. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Tim. Glad and to be with you. You have a lovely home, even though I've even though you've this is it. There's no even though you've see. only brought me down in the basement. <laughs> but we are here in very gloomy Southern California today mm. to record a non-gloomy podcast episode with Chris Lazat, musical artist. What would you say? What would be your titles and stuff after your name? Oh, Chris Lazat, musician. Chris Lazat, singer-songwriter. Chris okay. Lazat, maybe all of the above. But 
other things too. Gardner, <sighs> Walker of the Streets <laughs> of San Juan Capistrano, mission visitor or dweller. Mm-hmm. Retro car and not really retro vehicle lover. Yeah, but not so much. I mean, I have an old truck, but it's not, I don't think that it's, I do watch American Pickers a lot. There you go. Yeah. But your motorcycles too, like aren't some of yours are. I have one old. motorcycle. Oh, you only have one right now. Yeah. I mean, I know this is your show and I know you like to embellish. But <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just have one motorcycle. Chris has a garage full of Indians. Which is the motorcycle Indians, not, there's no human trafficking going on here. (laughs) But is that where you you still have an Indian? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I know a little bit. Yeah, you do. So Chris, Chris and I go way, way back, which I probably said a little bit in my intro, or maybe I'll just figure my intro out a little bit better. But I have known you since probably 93, which would put that at 20. This is our 25 year anniversary. Is that right? Uh, Did I do that math right? Mm-hmm. 25 year anniversary. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. Which was all a, a long time ago, pre pre facial hair for Chris Lazat, right? You, yes, sir. You were not a facial hair connoisseur at that time I was either. Not farming hair back then. No. We've done the opposite because back then I had long flowing <laughs> locks. I just want to take a moment to cry about that. And you had a bald face and now I've got nothing on top and you just master facial hair. Like, thank you. People stop you on the street ever. And once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And there's been many iterations, um, but you are one fancy fellow. Thanks, Tim. (laughs) We'll hug again. We'll hug after this recording is done. But Chris, has been doing music since when? I mean, that was, did you start in 90? I recorded my first record in 89. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was very early on in your career, mm-hmm. which now fantastically is still trucking, still motoring along with, yeah. uh, which we'll get into later, but um, make sure you listen to all of that because I'm going to put some of Chris's music on this in the second episode for you guys to be able to hear what some good, fantastic music sounds like. And, and the funny thing is, is, and I might edit this out of the episode because I don't know how this will be taken, but I remember when my girlfriend at the time <laughs> was playing, and I think I've told you this before, but was playing your first tape for me, tape in a car. And we were listening, whatever, listening for a while. And then I think it was maybe weeks later when I saw the cover and said, there is no way this is Chris Lazat. Cause I, I really thought you were like a big African American male. Careful. <laughs> and I'm trying to make that as yeah. PC as possible, but um, instead you're just a, just a, you're, you are a, a stellar saying. Caucasian yeah. who, just has the buttery sounds of a man with a much deeper, southier soul than a Southern California product. Are you a Southern California product? Yes, sir. So let's that I've just created a fantastic segue. So let's turn that into your history. Let's get into your dad stuff and go back into your dad's history and your history. I'll let you take it away. Okay. I don't know a whole lot about my dad when he, my dad was born in Rhode Island and I don't know Mm. a ton about his life because he moved out here when he joined the Navy. And, um, so he was a kid when he moved out here. So even his mom and dad, I didn't, I don't know too well. His dad died actually when I was just two or three years old. So Mm. I never really knew my grandpa on his side. But um, he moved out here, joined the Navy, and uh, hitchhiked all the way out here by himself. Wow. And uh, was in the Korean War. Didn't really see much action. He was a Morse code. Oh, really? Operator. Wow. Yeah. Stationed in San Diego. And uh, 
he saw Elvis. Uh, Elvis came to the base and performed for about 400 Navy guys. No way. Late 50s, so like the cool Elvis. Right, while he was in, right? Yeah, he was one of the Navy guys. Wow. One of the 400 or so. And um, and then he met my mom. After the Navy, he went to, to college at Fullerton. Mm-hmm. He met my mom there. And then uh, he worked for the city of Fullerton, I believe, or city of Orange, one of those, as an engineer. He got an engineer degree. Uh, side note, um, here's a musical story. He actually then, when he worked for the city, he did an inspection on the Fender, Leo Fender's guitar factory in Fullerton. Really? In the late maybe 59, 60 or something like that, and walked around the factory with Leo Fender. And at the end, uh, he said, hey, Larry, we, we're making this guitar called a Fender Stratocaster. Love to, I'd love to give you one. And my dad's like, well, I don't play, so I don't know what I'd do with that. And he, re- he rejected the offer of a free 1950 wow. Strat. Wow. Which would be worth, you know, because yeah. he probably would have never played it. He would have stuck it under his bed or something. Yeah. And it could be mine. Oh. Could have paid off the house or something. Is that a, uh, is that one of those Thanksgiving or uh, Christmas dinner stories that get brought up like every three years or something? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we all <laughs> just chastise my dad for <laughs> refusing the free gift. So, yeah, then my dad. Bought his first house in the city of Orange right around when I was born. And then uh, two years later, got a job offer to work for this company called AFCO down here in Laguna Niguel, which Laguna Niguel wasn't a city. It was South mm-hmm. Laguna. And um, we moved to Laguna Beach for a year or so. Really? At, at Victoria. Oh, yeah. We rented a house there. Wow. And then when I was two... My dad bought a house in Laguna Niguel, a four-bedroom house for like $30,000. Probably, yeah. Yeah. And so that's where I grew up, really, in Laguna Niguel. Hmm. And uh, my parents were Catholic, still are. Raised me Catholic. Hmm. I went to St. Catherine School in Laguna Beach, first mm-hmm. through eighth grade. And I uh, was an altar boy and had a great experience. Uh, nothing but positive things there. And uh, that was my kind of my childhood, in a sense of like, Growing up, my dad was a great dad and still is. Um, very busy when we were kids, so he worked a lot. And uh, it's a great provider, very 50s dad. My mm-hmm. mom, you know, ironed the sheets and ironed his, <laughs> ironed his underwear, just like pleats in made, his underwear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> made, still has pleats in his jeans. Uh, you know, my mom was the, the super mom and, you know, made dinner for everybody still would, if I lived there still, still would be making my bed. Mm -hmm. That type of mom. Were you an only child? No, I have a brother and a sister. Okay. Both older. I'm the youngest, but overall our, I wish I had some big dramatic story about my parents, but they were just great, solid people. And um, they still are still alive. My mom is 76 and my dad's 82. Wow. And I, I will say that I, I, I'm kind of bummed that I didn't have the microphones on. Uh, here. But Chris's dad came in just while I was setting everything up, and he does not at all. I would never have guessed he was 82. So you can tell him that. Oh, because he just did. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he. Oh yeah, he's he's. <laughs> we go on walks, me and my dad, mm-hmm. a lot, and uh, went on one last night and. He, uh, I'm, I'm like full stride and he's right there, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm way taller than him too. So he's like, just blows it. <laughs> he's getting three steps into your one. Yeah. He's like a wiener <laughs> dog and I'm a German shepherd. Uh, just a metaphor of. Yeah, yeah. The, um, just if he takes anything harsh from that, just have him rewind to where I said he doesn't look like he's 82. <laughs> <laughs> That'll just I just called my dad a wiener right dog. over yeah. <laughs> and I just called myself a German like a noble German shepherd. Yeah. I'm really like a goofy Saint Bernard or <laughs> a Great Dane that's clumsy. Great Dane, I think, would be better for you. How tall are you? Six four. You carry yourself like a six six, six seven. Thanks. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just I I am shrinking, but maybe I just 
power in your presence all the more. Well, it was the hair loss because you were. Oh, you true. Had, you had a couple oh, inches up there gosh. and they're gone. Sorry. Ah, so this is the Chris Lazat cutting everybody down <laughs> show. <laughs> But for, well, but for you, the Chris. record, the good thing is that you have adoption and you clearly love them. So you calling your dad one isn't a negative. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And your dogs are yeah, they're hilarious for one. They kind of are. Yeah. And my dad's pretty funny. He has a, a great line that he says probably three or four times a day. If someone comes up to him and says, hey, Larry, how you doing? He'll say, I don't remember. <laughs> Literally three or four times a day. Uh, That's his his deal, his line. I may have to steal that soon. (laughs) That's pretty good. So you guys are living in Laguna Niguel. You have finished your pre-high school years at a Catholic school. Where did you end up going to high school? Dana Hills. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So was that like an actual decision that was at any point difficult for them because of what you had been doing before that? Or, well, you're, I'm assuming maybe your older siblings had already paved the way to that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I'm sure it was just maybe even financially a relief Mm -hmm. because Catholic school, if I would have, the only Catholic schools, high schools were modern day and servite, which is an all boys school. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go there and home of the dolphins. Yeah. That's a very good dolphin impression. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I'm sure the financial burden, because like putting you in those skirts, those plaid skirts is probably not cheap. They're pricey. <laughs> Especially because you were probably, even if you weren't 6'11", like you are now back then in high school, probably the extra material for the tall, tall man. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i i can assume they were probably relieved to not do that oh here uh, here carlos. is Nine. juan carlos Nine. <laughs> the, the wiener dog just <laughs> gonna smell all my stuff now yeah sorry that's okay so then you go to dana hills and when you're there what are you what are you thinking you're gonna do down your road I mean, are you planning on going to college? Are you? I was terrible in school. Uh, Just, you know, we all grew up surfing and I played volleyball. Just wasn't focused on school. So I, I wasn't, wasn't like, like I couldn't do it. I just was. Didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That was like me. Yeah. So me and you were fairly distracted. Other things were more important. You're just starting to like really wanting to date girls and just yeah. have fun and play sports play and sports. hang out with your friends and yeah. yeah, go to the beach. And so school was tough, but, but then when, when I was done, I started playing music and I mo- actually moved to steamboat Colorado mm. for a ski season with some buddies, huh. Dana being one of them. Oh, really? And, uh, and we just worked at the ski shop there and skied every day. And, um, just like something to do after high school before deciding what we're going to do with our lives, you know? And while I was there, a friend of mine said, Hey, when you get back, let's start a band. You play Hmm. guitar. Like, okay. I didn't really play guitar, but I messed around a little bit. So we got back. I got in a band with my buddy and we were terrible. We were called the Spiritones. This like a spear? No, the spirit. Oh, spirit tones. Tones. All right. Not this, not a spear, t- the spear tones, <laughs> the spirit tones. Yeah. And, uh, we were, you know, all young Christians and we played at churches. And mm-hmm. at that time, Christian, like rockabilly, ska, new wave, like there's, there was like some, this new thing happening mm-hmm. and where all these kids wanted something other than going to parties that kids with faith wanted somewhere, an alternative. Mm-hmm. So they'd go to these concerts and there'd be tons of kids at these concerts mm-hmm. watching really horrible bands, <laughs> me being in one of them. <laughs> and, um, but it was something to do. And so were you guys opening like on tickets with actual, I don't know how, I don't know if this is correct, but like big Christian, like notable Christian bands at that time, or was it just totally like local orange County 
bands that weren't really much of anything all playing together. And it's probably more of that. Yeah. I mean, some of the bands were like the Lifesavers and Undertaker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they, had, them. they were more notable, but yeah. they were all local. But we'd, right. we'd open for them a lot. And we play at like churches with 3,000 people there. You know? Oh, wow. It's just scared out of my gore. Yeah. You know, and, and just hoping I don't mess up. You know? So <laughs> riveting shows. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, <laughs> standing there just watching my fretboard. Mm -hmm. you know? Like, wow, that's entertaining. But that was kind of like, there was like a kind of a little bit of a, a revival, maybe that was tagged on to the end of the Jesus movement of the mm -hmm. 70s, mm -hmm. kind of went into the 80s as well with a bunch of young, all my friends. Mm -hmm. A lot of my friends were surrendering, like saying yes to Jesus at that time, mm -hmm. which was pretty cool. And, um, and a lot of my friends today that were friends from that long ago still have faith, you know, and mm -hmm. some have gone this way or that way. But so it was, a, it was a neat time actually. So how, how long were the spirit tones happening for you? Oh, uh, maybe two years. Oh, wow. Maybe a little bit more. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. I don't remember. So that goes into the mid eighties goes into the mid eighties. And then, then in the right somewhere in there, I got in a band, different band with some other friends that I grew up with. And we all decided we we're going to move to LA and try and get a record deal and lived up there for five or six years and, and got a record deal. No. Oh, okay. I never did. So uh, you guys were playing the, I mean, what was the scene bars, like up there? Oh, okay. Clubs. We weren't Christian. We were Christians in a band. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Doing, most of the lyrics I would write were gospel centered lyrics, but, um, life stories too, or whatever. Mm -hmm. still, still, you know, pursuing faith, but, um, uh, not playing churches it, and yeah, whatever, trying to just make it in the secular world or whatever. And, uh, got some opportunities where major labels would give us money to make demo tapes. Hmm. And so they were courting us in a sense of like, okay, kids, we'll see what you got. Kind mm -hmm. of thing. And do, we would do showcases for major labels and, and, uh, um, I have a good story about one of them. We were playing it. We were doing a showcase for A&M records at this club called club lingerie. It's not what you think. <laughs> Just a rock and roll club. <laughs> Take it easy. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, there was a, a little band from Seattle that was opening for us that was also being courted by A&M, but we didn't know that. And so they played first and they didn't have anyone at the show for them because they're from Seattle. No one knew who they right. were. And we had all of our friends there. So it was pretty packed because we thought this could be our big night. Mm -hmm. So the first band plays and at the end, the A&R guy from A&M starts helping them load their drums out of the, the room. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, great. You know, like this definitely is the guy's not staying for us. Yeah, you know? yeah. And um, he ended up coming back in and watching us play. But then I read in the variety the next week that that band signed a deal with a and Oh, really? And it was Soundgarden. No way. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. So you went head to head since. with Soundgarden. <laughs> they deserved it. We weren't good enough. <laughs> yeah, That's so. pretty cool. Yeah. And they were super nice guys. Like, yeah. Humble and like. They're playing in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, they had a record on Sub Pop, I think, at that time. Mm -hmm. Which this is what? You think like 87? 80, 80, somewhere. Yeah, 87 probably. Yeah. Wow. You, That's crazy. Know, you worked at Tower Records. Well, I'd have to. I wasn't at Tower yet. Okay. I was in high school still at that point. I didn't start at Tower until 90. But. Okay. But you, you knew about all those bands, I'm sure. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. I mean, I a record guy. Yeah, I mean, I have my fingertip on the pulse of everything at all times, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't at that show because I probably had a previous. I think I was scouting Nirvana at that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my dad would and mom would come up to see us at these dingy clubs, you know, which meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. You know. We played at this place called Madame Wong's wow. in Santa Monica, which was an old funeral parlor. Oh my gosh. It turned into a nightclub, you know? Yeah. 
and it's, and it, you know, my parents in Laguna Niguel would drive up there at for an eight a o'clock, Thursday nine night, o'clock show. You know, yeah. And come see their kid play. They wouldn't do it every time, but enough they would. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, and my dad was kind of the dad who always said, what's your plan B? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Which at the time I kind of was insulted by that. Like, no, I don't have a plan. Well, right. You know, but now that I'm older, I think like, well, that was just dad loving his son. You yeah. Know, wisdom. And, uh, but they would come up there and I'm sure it was a terrible drive and mm-hmm. not the funnest place to go to. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I've met my wife, not when I met when my wife, before we were married, she came and saw us at the anti-club and, um, in Hollywood and, and had a cockroach just crawl right up her arm, up her <laughs> neck. <laughs> wow. And so that's the, that's the type of place that we're playing. Yeah. So. And did you, speaking of your wife, did you guys meet there in LA or did you, when or where did you guys meet? We actually met at a church called the Vineyard in Anaheim. Mm. And um, she was dating one of my best friends, this guy named Mike Knott, who was a Christian artist. He was singing in a band called the Lifesavers. And, and I was dating her, one of her best friends. Oh, really? And so we dated each other's friends for five years or so. We were serious. Wow. wow. Know, with each other's. It sounds weird. We were. Anyway. <laughs> and, uh. Some key party at Madame Wong's and <laughs> just kidding. Club lingerie. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. No, then um, we broke up with each other's friends and then a couple of years went by and then I actually hmm. asked my friend Mike if, if I could date his ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. and he said, well, yeah, she's not my girlfriend anymore. So, huh. so then me and my wife. That's pretty cool. So we had already, we started dating, but we had already known each other and been, we were already friends. Right. So, so that was, when did you guys start dating? Were you? Probably 86. Okay. So around that. No, 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 no. 87. So when you're living, while you are living in LA. Let me get this straight. Not 86, 87. This is important. I'll I'll edit that. Yeah. He's 100% sure. So that's while you were living in LA. Yeah. And she was living down here. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a flight attendant. Oh, really? That's called a stewardess back then. Yeah. For Continental Airlines. Huh. And going to Tahiti and New Zealand really? every week. Wow. Back when you can smoke on the plane. And, you know. Yeah. I, I always enjoy getting on a plane now and seeing some of the armrests that still have the little ashtray. And you're, oh. What airline do you fly? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's Northwest Air, which I think was a thing at some time. Northwest Airlines? Yes. Northwest. Yeah. Pan Am, does Pan Am still exist? No. Yeah. Pan Am and Northwest. Yes. Those are my those are my airlines of choice. TWA is gone too. Oh yeah. yeah. Which which I was bummed when I was a kid. It was one of my goals, one of my joking goals to take that over and be able to still keep TWA, but it would be Tim Wheaton Airlines. Oh my god! I was so excited, like That's when I figured that out. But it didn't. Chris, it didn't happen. I'm sorry, it's okay. It's one of those, <laughs> one of those shattered dreams on the road of life. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I got to find more TW companies that right. I can take over, like Twix, Twix or Twix bars. Isn't there a TRW? Is your middle name happen to start with an R? P. Oh, sorry. TPW. Which I could take over like toilet paper. Toilet paper wipes. Yeah. <laughs> toilet paper wipes. TPW, you're right. Uh, like a kind of like, um, what is that cereal that has two sides? One is corn and one is, right, Crispix. It's crispy times two and it's got corn on one side. And so TPW is dry on one side and wet on the other. What an innovation. Jeez. I don't know how you do it, but well, your hand stays dry. Yeah, which is that's so genius. And there's some kind of little cellophane in between the two to keep the dry side dry and the wet side wet. Oh my god! So if anybody steals this, I this is on my podcast, so I believe that creates a copyright and trademark. So what's the date today? Thursday, April fifth, two thousand eighteen, at at eleven twenty eight. Mm-hmm. AM, if this goes anywhere after that, uh, you owe me like 
not you, but you listener who stole that idea and made millions, you owe me like half of them at least mm-hmm. or double or something. Let's just say half because half of it's dry, half of it's that's right. Moist. I would, I would appreciate the moist side. You can keep the dry side. You said moist. I think, uh, which is one of those words that some people hate. Usually it's women, not to be a sexist, but I haven't met many men who hate the word moist the way that a lot of women do. I hate it. Do you really? Oh, I hate it. it. (laughs) Then you're my first. Oh, see, you don't. No, I don't. I've yet to find a man. So if there is a man out there who hates the word moist, send an email to daddyunscripted at gmail.com and I maybe will shout you out on one of my episodes and we'll talk about you. You're going to get lit up. (laughs) All these moist hating men. (laughs) So anyway, we were somewhere on the road. Oh yeah. So you are uh, in the very late eighties living in LA. So what ended up bringing you back down South? I had a a really good friend that passed away pretty sudden of cancer. He, He struggled with it for a while, but, um, I just started reevaluating my life. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, when I was living in LA, I was just kind of, I don't know, just forgetting my identity. You know, I was just kind of losing myself. And, and when my friend passed away, it just kind of made me think, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. At that point too, I was in a band with my best friends that we grew up with, but we were also living together, working together, practicing four nights a week together, we started to really hate each other. Because we're not getting along. Mm-hmm. And I was just done. And so I just left. I moved back home down this way. My At that point, my wife and I were married. We got married. And uh, we moved back down to Costa Mesa, got a place, and uh, started going back to church and just trying to find myself again and mm-hmm. my what I loved and started working construction and still playing music. And then I started, I got involved back at this church where I met my wife at and they started a a record company Hmm. and I started making records for them. Which was Metro one. Yes. No, no. Nice try. It was called vineyard music. Oh, and they were a worship label, but they had a sub label that did like rock records Mm -hmm. band called the violet burning. And then, and I was their second artist. Hmm. And so I did couple records for them. And then I went to Metro one. Okay. After that. So you are, your first record comes out in 89 is what you're saying. I think it might've came out in 90. Okay. I think. And then when are you, when did you first become a dad? 92. Okay. You, you did nail that one. So we'll give you a pass on your 86, 87 <laughs> gaff earlier. Yeah, definitely 92. <laughs> So you are, where are you at at that time? You're down here. You've had now two records have come out. Yeah. My second record came out in 92 and Dana, my, my youngest was my oldest was born. Mm-hmm. And, um, at that point I was just doing music full time and was, uh, going overseas uh, like one, sometimes twice a year mm-hmm. and playing over there and, and, uh, was able to squeak out a living, you know, mm-hmm. that, and was doing more like concerts, you know, and, and over in Europe, there was like, because I was more of like an R and B blues kind of genre, they, they seemed to gravitate towards American blues mm-hmm. music. So it didn't, it wasn't hard to get gigs and stuff over there. And what is your, wife doing at that time aside from mothering okay so kids. being she the, went with me once when the kids when we got our second boy we took the kids over there for three weeks but um it was not that easy yeah so and i started not liking being gone from the kids because i remember coming home one time and and at that when your kids are that small as you know mm-hmm. and in just a few weeks they actually yeah. change yeah and i remember coming home once and i saw my baby Lee and saw that he just looked totally different. And I was just bummed. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I realized now I missed that. I missed an inch and a half, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it kind of made me want to back off of being gone. So I loved being a dad still do. 
And how do you see your dad in you as a dad? Like, do you do stuff that you're kind of like, oh, that's that was totally my dad when I was a kid or whatever? Or do you see those reflections since you are so close with your dad in the way that you parent or your relationship with your kids or anything like that? Mm hmm. The older I get, the more similarities I see. Mm -hmm. when, when I was younger, we're just a di totally different generation. Yeah. My dad was a man's man, come, came home and had a drink and, you know, he wasn't, didn't have a problem. He was just, just different thing. You know, yeah. my, my wife is pretty, like, pretty strong. And so, like, I, when I came home, she was like, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> handing me a baby, you know, change of diapers. You know, so I was like, I wasn't the fifties dad. I was more of like, you know, I, I got in there with her and mm -hmm. did the stuff like that. You know, I do have to say that I didn't do dishes much. I still don't. There absolutely is that massive generational change. And I've talked about that with a few dads, like the fifth, I mean, it is a cliche and you can see it on television programs from that time, which are pretty apparently true to what it was you know the well not on all of them but the dad came home he had his chair yeah you know that was the that was their version of the man cave it just happened to be the actual living room that everybody had to like stay away from dad in or whatever yeah. and they had their time with the tv or with their newspaper or whatever it was and you know in many cases it was the wife who you hear about this or imagine it very clearly like running around to bring him whatever or his kids bringing him whatever and you know keep the kids away from me and the mom telling them to stay away from dad and all that all how different that is from and it's not a slight maybe on on some of some of them but on that generation of men like that was just what they was. did yeah and I think now, like since maybe the seventies and obviously it's, it's a lot different now and people have gone through the period of helicopter parenting and What's whatnot that? where you just hover over your kid and oh. not let anything happen. That, um, the ultra protective helicopter parenting, yeah, kind of the bubble wrapping and the very, heavily involved and in some cases like you have the schools of thought of over involvement and whatnot i think they're coming to seems to be coming to kind of a different balance right now between that between the two extremes of i don't know i, th I think parents especially now it's very different because you can't you can't do what our parents did with us you know we were the stay out until the sun goes down, you know, and then you come home and your parents in many cases, like a lot of my friends, they were latchkey kids. You came home, your parents weren't there when you got home from school, you had the key to your house and you either went in or you went out and played with your friends. And I can't even dream of allowing my kids to do that now. Right. I mean, your kids are older, so fortunately you don't have those you have different stresses yeah in your life but like my nine-year-old and five-year-old i'm always astounded at the parents who's sorry i'm probably dissing some of you parents but the under 10 year old kids who have an instagram account mm. like why really why do they need yeah. an instagram wow and because of the things that exist and i'm i'm don't think I'm that conservative, but like that is such an easy gateway to so many bad things. Mm. And it's just crazy to me, like the difference between when we were kids. I mean, to me as a teenage boy that was a teenage boy and curious, like as bad as it could get for me was trying to get between the two and the 13 on the TV because every once in a while, like you would get something kind of sexy on there and, but you couldn't see it at all. Cause it would be like the gray lines would be like bouncing and you'd be yeah. trying so hard to see something. And oh, I think I saw something. And 
like that was it. And like now the ability that all humans have to get absolutely anything as crazy or as non-crazy as it gets, like is just frightening, Mm. frightening. Yes. So, I mean, that's, that's part of where I get some of that helicopter parenting because it is tough to leave your kid who no matter how well you are raising them, quote unquote, and how many things you are instilling in them, like they have however many hundreds of voices when they're not, when they're at school, when they're outside, whatever, playing with other kids that you have no idea what those kids character is like or what their parents are doing with them that are seasoning their life in a good or bad way. It's just, it's impossible. Like I hope that my, my daughter is pretty smart and she seems to know pretty well, right from wrong, but like one, it takes one kid, you know, to tell her this is okay. So I just wanted to let all of you listeners know that I'm moving to a convent in with my children with my children in uh the darkest reaches of istanbul or wherever with no wi-fi yeah with absolutely no electronics or wi-fi they are going to become abacus geniuses Mm -hmm. and honey and wild dates (laughs) yep yes they will they will be uh hunters and gatherers from plants and the earth but yeah it's yeah it's it's different and and it's it's good to know what the parents did what our parents did before us and you know they're they i'm sure we're talking to each other about their struggles that were very real that were just on a different level it's kind of like i feel like obviously we live in this dark world you know mm-hmm. and obviously our human nature kind of leads us down dark roads, you know, like that's just our human nature. And Mm -hmm. I think what's helped me is, you know, a lot of people think that at least in, in faith and Christianity, and a lot of people think that it's, it's a world of no's. Don't do that. Stop. Don't do that. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. But I found that to me, it's uh, counterproductive. It doesn't really work, but what works is just like, when you bring light into darkness, the darkness gets dispelled because the light overpowers the darkness. Mm-hmm. And so with our kids and our worries for our kids, it seems like to me, the best thing we can do for them is as much as we can encourage them to fill their lives with light so that the, the darkness becomes less available or less there. You mm-hmm. know? And, and which means Maybe a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but if God is love, if that's the definition of God and, um, and love is light, you know, it's like, then if we, the more we just fill our minds and, and encourage our kids to fill their minds and fill their hearts with love, you know, with God's love, then some of those things become less attractive or they become maybe less as big in our mind Mm -hmm. because we're feeling we're it's like eating good food Mm -hmm. or nutritious food. You know, the more you eat nutritious food, the more you become healthy, the more you fill your life with Twinkies, the more you're going to become like a fat wiener dog (laughs) with little little legs. Yeah. So, so anyways, so make your choice. Do you want to be a fat wiener dog or do you want to be a great Dane like Chris? (laughs) Um, which would be even better if you were, if your heritage was Danish, do you know what your ancestry is? Are you, my name is French Canadian. Oh, really? Yes. Lizotte. French and Canadian. so is that true of your heritage too? Like you have traced, has anybody traced it back? I need to do the, uh, I got one for Christmas. One of those tests. The 23 and me. I don't know. Oh, it's like you spit in some. Yeah. 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 23 and me. Yeah. So you I, still I need to spit. Yeah. I just sent my sample out uh, because my brother did it and then he had our mom do it and we discovered something that we absolutely never knew because my mom has always talked about how she is so German 
and our family is so German. And my brother took his first and found out that he's a quarter Jew, which we never knew. And so he had my mom do it. And sure enough, she is half Jew. No way. Yeah. So, um, which I talked with a friend of mine about the other day and she said, I wonder if your family didn't spread that around because they were having to hide. Oh my God. So it may go back that far, which we may never be able to know. Like we, because of people being dead and gone, like we may never be able to find that information out, but it will be interesting to trace. And I sent mine out and we keep thinking like mine is basically going to be the same as my brother's, but it could be a little bit different, I guess. It'd be interesting to find out, see how accurate that is. Yeah. Um, Uh, A little Peter Brady moment there. It's about time my body finally started having these changes. I've been hearing about them for so long. Yeah. I have been having some incredible talks with my dad lately, which since this is a dad cast, a pop pop cast. Pop cast. A lot of his friends are dying. Dr. Mm-hmm. Dr. Morrow just died. You remember Dr. Morrow? Anyways, no. he's lost. Most of his good friends have died. Mm-hmm. He's at that age, you know. And uh, and my mom has a lot of health issues. She has a lot of heart problems, and he's worried about her. And so we've been having all these really kind of interesting talks about that, but not wanting to really talk about it. But here it is. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we all face this time where none of us escape death, Mm -hmm. you know, and to be a son now and to be talking to my dad about, it's always been my dad. It's always known more than me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this, that I know more than my dad, but I feel like there's things in my life that I've cultivated that he hasn't Mm -hmm. that now he's asking for advice on and help on. And, and that's been really fascinating and uh knowing that this is a big moment for him coming up and that we're all gonna reach that moment some sometimes we get surprised by that moment like your father Mm -hmm. who didn't expect that at Mm -hmm. that age you know but we're all gonna face this moment of like okay is this it what's next you know and my dad told me yesterday that he's afraid of death and um i get it who, mm-hmm. who isn't really. right. But it's been really, uh, interesting just being able to share some things that make that fear subside a bit and maybe more than a bit. And that it's been, uh, like he just left my house just now with you in the door saying, Hey, I read that last night, what you told me to read, mm-hmm. which was Romans chapter eight, which is very helpful when you're in trouble. And I went through a period in my life where I went through massive panic attacks Hmm. for months where I was incapacitated. And I remember Romans 8, I'd read it over and over again. And it slowly brought peace to my heart and to my mind, Mm -hmm. which was what I needed the most. I was so panicked, you know, I was devastated and like felt like I was dying and being buried alive and all this stuff. So to be able to help each other through that moment, this is a moment that no matter what we believe we're all facing, you know what I mean? Right. Like any of your listeners, whether they believe in God or not, or they believe there's an afterlife or not, we all face this moment of this mystery, Mm -hmm. you know? And I told my dad, you know, he raised me Catholic and I was baptized as a baby Catholic. I went to Catholic school and I said, you know, I'm staking my whole life on what you did for me. We went to church every Sunday in Laguna Beach my whole life. And um, if I don't stake my life on that, then that was a huge waste of time, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I'm staking my life on that. And I I believe you can can stake your life on that too, you know? Just believe. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. It doesn't mean you have to have faith that's bigger than even a mustard seed. But if we just say yes, you know? And I was telling him about the thief on the cross and how here's this guy who is a murderer, you know, and was next to Jesus when he was dying. And, and he never even said, I'm sorry. He didn't even say, would you forgive me? Mm-hmm. He just said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, truly today you will be with me in paradise. 
So all he had to say was yes to God. Mm -hmm. That was it. And so that's been super comforting to be able to pass that information along because, you know, I'm not trying to tell people how to live their life or what to believe or what not to believe, but what, why not say yes to God? Mm -hmm. So it was my thing to my dad, you know, and to any dad out there is, um, if it's such a mystery and we really don't know, well, I, I choose to hold my hat on things that I've just, my dad brought me up in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So really he's been a huge giver of life to me. And now I can hopefully give back a little bit in his time of doubt and fear, give a little bit back. And, and I don't know if there's any greater gift that a father can give a son than to give him a key that possibly opens mm -hmm. the door to eternity that yeah. gives us eternal life yeah. or there, or is there a better gift that as a son, maybe we could give our dad. So anyways, that's what's been going on the last couple of weeks. It's been cool. And that's, that's kind of why this whole thing, this whole podcast and all of this kind of sprung from that of me being very aware of how much I lost when my dad died, not just lost, but never got a chance to get. And I've talked about this with people a lot that, you know, there are times in your life when ah, it's just not the time I'm going to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, we're playing hoops together or whatever we're doing. Like I'm definitely not going to stop this to tell my son or tell my dad or whatever about this story that may never get told ever. Mm -hmm. And whether you both live to a hundred together or whatever, like it just may never get told. And so to me, going back and sitting with all of these dads and getting some of those stories about their own fathers, but these also these stories about them that hopefully, you know, in, in, in my mind and not best case scenario, but a, a good case scenario is that they are sharing it with their families. And for me, any of the tidbits that come out of, of my life, you know, what happens if I die tomorrow, I'm knocking on your wood table right now, then my nine and five-year-old, they are missing a ton because I'm not sitting down with them and talking about any of these sorts of things. You know, they're getting little tidbits here and there and they're getting funny daddy and, but they're not going to hear about my dad from hardly anybody. My wife never knew my dad. Mm. So my hope is when they are in their twenties, thirties, forties, that this all still exists that yeah. the internet still is something and they're able to go in and, you know, it's kind of my joy. Like I was playing for you, these old church tapes of my dad, like I can actually listen to him talk and the little snippets of him, like that he would, you know, we were kind of joking around about all the little anecdotes and stories that they were talking about during their sermons. And there are a couple in there where my dad is like, you know, one that I've played on a previous episode where he's talking about he and I going to an angels game and mm. talking about the thing together. And I, that's a very vivid memory for me, but <clears throat> my kids may not get that and they may never get to hear that. And now, you know, potentially they'll, they'll have all this in the future and all of these things that people miss. I, I'm kind of trying to go back in people's lives because of we have become amazing documenters now. And, you know, for you on your Instagram, you take fantastic photos at the mission and all of these things that you document going forward and all the parents who take pictures of their kids now and videos and put them Facebook, whatever. And that's all stored, but we're all like, living in the present and living in the future and like all of these past stories and relationships and conversations and whatever are just falling off yeah. because they didn't document 
that way when they were younger or when we were teenagers or whatever, you know, in my photography world, I always talked about how I have seen maybe two pictures of my mom when she was pregnant with me. That's why I've always loved doing maternity photos with moms, especially as a dad now, like the pictures that I have of my wife, even ones that weren't professionally done or whatever, like those are very special to us and hopefully will be to our daughter and our son when they are older and look back and say, Oh, that's me and inside mommy or whatever. Yeah. And thinking about all these things from ages gone by that are just disappearing as people pass away. Right. So I think it's unfortunate that we all are so busy and we have so much going on that it's difficult to sit down and have these kind of conversations. And so I love when you say that you walk a lot and talk with your dad, like that's, that's a piece of heaven on earth right there, you know, having that ability and that allowance in your in both of your lives to be able to have those conversations and take that morsel to each other from each other and hopefully pass it on to potentially other people but what it does for both of you individually on its own is tremendous yeah i agree so that's awesome that you guys are able to do that yeah so make sure your dad listens to that too okay so yeah. tell your dad to skip skip over the wiener dog part listen to me talk about how he doesn't look like he's 82 and then listen yeah. to us talk about how important your conversations are he'll like the wiener dog part too. <laughs> <laughs> who wouldn't i think that's a fantastic finishing note me for too. this episode yeah. so i will say we will go into another episode now but before that happens do you want to tell people where they can should find you out in the interweb ethos i'm not really organized with all that but i'm on all the things Uh, all as chris lazar basically yeah and go to itunes and spotify spotify pandora all that stuff yeah all right so find chris there chris thanks for getting in deep about your family stuff with me you betcha Okay, and that ends my first half of my conversation with Chris, and it really continues to go uphill from here. So it will be a week or two weeks before you get to hear the conclusion of our conversation, which talks a lot about uh, music and which kind of maybe brushes its wings a little bit against semi-controversial talk more, a lot more by me about the business, the industry, the whole world and genre of quote-unquote Christian music. And, you know, we we get pretty real in that episode. So make sure that you guys keep your eye out for that. Again, you should look for Chris Lazat on Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it is you listen to and stream your music on. Check out Chris and let me know what you think. Let me know what you think while you're listening to it or after you listen to it or whatever. I'd love to hear some of that feedback. Again, you can reach me at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. And Daddy Unscripted is the name of this podcast everywhere on social media, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook or Twitter. It's all under Daddy Unscripted. So I would love to connect with you guys and to continue to hear your feedback on the show and on my guests and on other ideas for new dads for me to sit down and talk with. Those are always awesome to hear from my listeners. So keep it up. This podcast, again, is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. And what does that mean to you guys? Well, Osiris is a place where you can discover great music and culture podcasts much like The Tour with Ted Canova, which is a really cool podcast that's kind of new to Osiris. 
as well as a really cool kind of newer one to the group, which is hosted by Joe Kendrick called Southern Songs and Stories. That podcast is documenting the current music of the South and the story of how it came to be. It's really, really fascinating. And for those of you who like music and like storytelling, you should make sure to check out Southern Songs and Stories. You guys, thanks for listening. And now I'll send you off with how we say goodbye in Turkish, which is Hoshekal. All right, guys, stay tuned for the second half with Chris Lazat coming out in a couple of weeks. Thanks. Thanks.